Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. In terms of things that caught my attention yesterday, um, an anchor for CNN, his name is Don Lemon, uh, in a conversation that he had on air with another CNN host named Chris Cuomo. Um, yes, he's the Chris Cuomo is the brother of the governor of the state of New York. Um, uh, Don Lemon said this to Chris Cuomo. Here's the thing. Jesus Christ, if that's who you believe in, Jesus Christ admittedly was not perfect when he was here on earth. So why are we deifying the founders of this country, many of whom owned slaves? Now, um, if you're sitting with someone who makes such a statement about Jesus, clearly a person who is not a follower of Jesus, a believer in Jesus, nor has any comprehension of the... uh, the, how could you be so ignorant of Christianity as to, as to utter the statement, the declaration that Jesus was not perfect when he was here on earth? Like, how ignorant of basic Christian theology do you have to be? Like, the in, almost the entire premise of Christianity is built upon the foundation that Jesus is God. Jesus is the God-man. He is God incarnate. He is, in fact, perfect, fully God, fully man. Um, and so when, when Don Lemon says something like this, and you are present, as Chris Cuomo was present, you should, if you have any sort of operation, operational or functional understanding of Christianity at all, you should protest. You should absolutely say, whoa, 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 Don, 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 you have, (laughs) dude, maybe you misspoke, but you have got this wrong. You've got this wrong. Chris Chris Cuomo did no such thing. He appeared completely clueless to the bad theology that was just uttered by his fellow CNN host. I don't, I don't want you to be um, ignorant of the fact that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. He, he. He is the savior of the world. Um, Don Lemon could not have been further from the truth. And so we talk about fact checking. This is an opportunity to fact check, right? And just say, hey, 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 Don Lemon got his facts wrong. Jesus um, is actually revealed in the scriptures to be the very son of the living God. God claimed Jesus as his own. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him at his baptism. He claimed him on the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, he claimed him over and over and over again. You, there are places and spaces for you to point to in the New Testament where God claims Jesus. And so we lay claim to the one to whom God laid claim. My, my faith in Christ is based on the revelation 
of Almighty God, of who Jesus is. And because of who Jesus is, what he did upon the cross is an all-sufficient atoning sacrifice for my sin. It required a sinless sacrifice. And Jesus Christ is that sinless sacrifice. That is what the atonement of Christ is all about. You you could not be further from the truth than to imagine for a moment that Jesus was not perfect. All right, so there you go. There's a there's a, a an opportunity today to literally engage a headline and a headline maker and a journalist. Um I want to say for their public perversion of the gospel, but I will say instead for their clear misunderstanding of Jesus and who he is. So it is an opportunity for you and I to engage, 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 engage. That's a whew, great opportunity. Okay, next up, Matthew Hawkins joins me again. Um, he's actually been working for a decade on something that uh, then came to fruition this week. And so we're going to have at least a moment celebration with Matt Hawkins about the decision of the Supreme Court of the United States in relationship to the Little Sisters of the Poor case. Um, He is going to place that in a little bit of context for us. And then he and I are also going to talk about some other religious liberty headlines. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. now, Matthew Hawkins, public theologian, former policy director of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention in Washington, D.C. Joining me now, he tweets as at M.T. Hawk. You can also find him at MatthewTHawkins.com. Hey, welcome back, man. Good morning, Carmen. Thanks for having me back. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Was good. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, all, that's that all. Don Lemon thing was just... Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I don't want to drag, drag back into that. but <laughs> No, no, we can't go back there. But we are going to return to Wednesday, uh, the decision of the U.S. Supreme Court on Wednesday mm-hmm. in relationship to one particular case, because it is, uh, it is uh, a conversation that you have been engaged in for a very long time on the advocacy so side. Long. So long. Right. And so here's what I want to here's how, how I want to set this up. So imagine that you're going to tell us a story. We have arrived at the happy ending. I want you to tell right. us. Uh, you know, sort of what what comes before this, put it in context, and then um, I'm going to uh, ask you if there's a happily ever after. <laughs> well, well, we'll see if there's a happily ever after, but this was a huge, huge win um, for people, uh, all Americans, really, who um, uh, who affirm religious freedom. Um, the Supreme Court case that had to do with Little Sisters of the Poor, that won again, in the Supreme Court. I emphasize again in the Supreme Court this week. Um, This decision, uh, really, people trace it back to some of a formal policy that that was, uh, I think, formalized in uh, in like 2013 or so. Um, But uh, the roots of this uh, conflict actually go back further, almost a decade. I'll get into that. Uh, But we have one decade, we have four election cycles, we have two Supreme Court appointments, since this began, we have multiple Supreme Court decisions, uh, I think at least four to date now, and millions upon millions of dollars uh, spent uh, in litigation. And, you know, a, a chorus of um, of multi-faith uh, collaborators uh, to get here. Uh, now, our friends at the legal, um, legal office, Beckett, 
uh, Beckett Law, they they carried they were kind of quarterbacked this thing, and so they have two religious freedom wins uh, in more in their pocket this week. Um, and they're great job. Um, uh, so they're, they're quarterbacking, but they're, they're, you know, getting, getting to this point for a Supreme court run really takes uh, a village uh, to, to steal a term. Um, so this goes back, uh, this, the health and human services, it's an agency that's an administrative agency of the, of the, um, of the U S government, um, run by whoever's in run basically by whoever's in the white house, um, was handed over the authority by Congress, Congress did not specify uh, what what they were going to do. Um, you couldn't get this through um, the halls of Congress and then onto a president's desk. This was during the Obama administration. Uh, so whenever the Affordable Care Act, uh, quote unquote, Obamacare was passed, uh, I think 2010, which is why I rooted in a decade, uh, passed, it gave Health and Human Services um, basically a decision to decide uh, what contraceptives um, employers should provide their employees. And as you know, uh, many Americans, um, frequently of religious faith, object to the use of contraceptives, um, predominantly Catholics. Uh, it's, it's in conflict with their doctrine um, to use contraceptives as a, a matter of course. Um, practice of, of, varying, of Catholics uh, may, may differ with that, but the official doctrine is, is, an, is a rejection uh, predominantly of, of contraceptives. The other problem here, uh, which is where we saw a lot of evangelicals get engaged uh, personally, not just in conceptually as far as religious freedom concerned, uh, is that the FDA list of approved contraceptives includes at least four drugs that actually act as abortifacients. It's a fancy word meaning they cause abortions. So after fertilization occurs, it actually um, it disrupts um, the a healthy um, pregnancy. And so a lot of Americans, um, business owners, employers, and you know, for-profit businesses, um, including Hobby Lobby, who won in the Supreme Court, um, and Little Sisters of the Poor, which is a nonprofit, um, won in court. Uh, the first time that Little Sisters won, won it, was, it was kind of a, a tepid victory because the Supreme Court basically told, uh, told uh, Congress or told Health and Human Services to back, go back and fix it, give them a sufficient religious uh, exemption, which they had not done to date. Um, and now uh, they have finally win that with an unmitigated victory that uh, government does not have the authority to tell people to buy products for different people against their consciences. One way I put it in 2013 was that uh, the federal government was trying to force uh, citizen A to pay for a product for citizen B for which citizen A had a moral objection. Um, and not only was this uh, done by the federal government, it wasn't even a congressional deliberation. Uh, so if Americans want to have a deliberation about uh, should contraceptives and which ones of them should be uh, funded by uh, employers, um, we can have that conversation. Uh, but Congress never had that conversation. Uh, they outsourced it. Um, and in the words of Nancy Pelosi, they had to pass the bill to see what was in it. Uh, that was uh, ridiculed broadly, but it actually was true because they outsourced so much authority to health and human services. Uh, so this is a big win this week, um, and uh, we're really, really excited for um, the Little Sisters of the Poor, who are nuns, by the way, literally an organization of nuns uh, that were being forced to fund contraceptive devices um, by the federal government. So this is a big win. It is a big win. Um, we want to. We, we certainly want to acknowledge that. Um, and I want to offer this as sort of the bottom line. Um, 
elections have consequences. Mm-hmm. And um, the question of whether or not this is going to be, you know, this is a happy ending at this point, whether or not it's a happily ever after is in no small part dependent on uh, who is in the White House and then who is in Congress. And so uh, let me just note to our listeners that um, the former vice president, Joe Biden, who is the presumptive nominee of the Democratic Party, has already promised to undo the decision uh, favoring what he views as religious institutions uh, and religious people. So, um, you know, elections have con- consequences. It actually does matter um, how we vote. Yep. All right. Uh, Matt Hawkins and I got to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the position of the special envoy on religious liberty, rel- religious freedom. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continue my conversation with Matt Hawkins. You can find him on Twitter at MT Hawk. You can also find him at MatthewTHawkins.com. All right. Uh, the EU, the European Union, um, has had a special envoy on religious freedom. Um, and then yeah. they said, well, maybe we're not going to replace that person. And then they gave in and said, well, now we are. So uh, just tell us what this person is supposed to do and why this position is important. Right. So. Um, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on uh, European Union politics, but I know enough uh, to be dangerous. So uh, listeners who've heard us talk about this before will um, probably remember that the United States has an ambassador at large position for international religious freedom. It's currently uh, that position held by. Yeah, Sam Brownback, uh, um, uh, Sam Sam Braggenbach, who is who is pretty exceptional, uh, and uh, in the context of people who have held the post, um, a lot of different people, a lot of qualified people have held the post, but um, to bring in a former governor uh, into that ambassador position really uh, um, is the first time the U.S. has uh, put. Uh, uh, someone with that kind of uh, political uh, success and and heavyweight um, into that office. So anytime you get someone like that, it really raises the profile uh, of that office, uh, which is a good thing uh, for people who care about international religious freedom. Um, uh, Canada used to have one briefly. I know uh, the first one was uh, Andrew Bennett, who's a friend of mine. Uh, He's a uh, he's an Orthodox priest um, from Canada, sh- super sharp guy. I think Canada, that that position kind of went away. Uh, the beauty, that was an administrative um, appointment in Canada. So with an election, that stuff changes and goes away. Thankfully, the U.S. position was c- uh, created by Congress. So uh, it's something that the State Department uh, has to have, or at least it has to have funding for. So the EU uh, several years ago uh, also appointed themselves what they call a special envoy for international religious freedom or in uh, the European term, uh, FORB, freedom of religion or belief. Uh, They just call it something different, but it's in, in practice the same thing. And uh, as you might imagine, in Europe, um, uh, opinions differ as far as uh, on, on religious freedom. Um, and a lot of European countries don't have the same uh, high value of First Amendment freedoms that we do. Um, and yet you do find allies over there. Lots of people get it. Um, and uh, for something like the European Union, what I like to tell people is you not only need someone who cares about um, the issue, but you really need someone in there who can manage a bureaucracy, right? In our case, Sam Brownback. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's someone who's politically astute and skilled at uh, managing uh, political uh, angles, uh, you know, from all directions. And uh, 
we'll see whether or not uh, the envoy uh, does this. I'm a little foggy on um, how much funding uh, that office got from the EU. Sometimes they'll make this appointment, but it's it's woefully funded. You know, maybe one staffer or something, um, and that's why you need uh, persistent pressure from. Uh, from civil, what we call civil society, basically non-governmental people, uh, to to ramp up the time and attention, and at a at a time when, frankly, international religious freedom, as long as we've been doing this, uh, it's probably at an all-time low uh, mm-hmm. since since the, even the U.S. started um, its advocacy in the context of diplomacy. It's pretty terrible. Uh, this office got off to a rough start um, when it, several years ago, and it sounded on its announcement sounded like it was going to advocate just for uh, religious freedom of Christians, or like that was going to already instead of all people. I think they, they kind of course corrected on that, uh, and wisely so, I agree, uh, especially in a day and age when we have at least a million, if not up to three million Uyghur Muslims in China uh, in re-education camps. Uh, it's a blatant, uh, among other th- other human rights abuses, it's it's a blatant breach of religious freedom, and uh, Muslims and Muslims of that ethnicity uh, are among the most persecuted people right now uh, in our globe. So we really do need to, um, and and we understand that where religious freedom for one group suffers, it will or already is suffering for another group. Uh, so we're all in this together. It's good to see that uh, the EO has announced that it will continue the position after looking like it was. Going a waiver and, and let let the office fizzle. Uh, so this is good news, uh, and we'll keep watching to see who they put in this position. For those of you who are following uh, news related to the Uyghur population um, in in China, uh, you will want to know that the United States has imposed sanctions on Chinese officials over the mass detention of Uyghur Muslims um, in in one particular province in China, and that happened yesterday. Um, by action of the U.S. State Department and um, Secretary of State uh, Pompeo. And so that might be a story that you want to check out today as well. Um, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo issued a statement related to this yesterday. The United States will not stand idly by as the CCP carries out human rights abuses targeting Uyghurs, ethnic Kazakhs, and members of other minority groups in Xinjiang. So uh, let's uh, let's all be lifting, lifting that up in prayer and thankful to God that we do operate in a nation that not only values our freedom and our individual freedoms of, of expression related to worship, but we actually value the human dignity of every person around the globe and their right to express their religious beliefs um, as, as God leads them. And so, uh, Matt Hawkins, thank you, as always, for joining us today. Um, what are you talking about in, uh, on your podcast? Uh, well, we um, did a headline episode that'll be forthcoming next week, and uh, the current we have two a two part series where uh, John and I, both as as qualified white guys, talk about racism <laughs> in America. But he is uh, a Muslim, and I'm a, I'm a Christian, and so uh, we we get risky on that on the racism. Okay, topic. could you could you just subhead your podcast as qualified white guys because that might be good. Okay, <laughs> it's crossing it's crossing faiths, and it's excellent. You guys ought to check it out. All right, that's Matt Thank Hawkins. You, Thank you so much, brother. We'll be right back. Thank you. Having nothing to do with anything that we're talking about today, but because I follow Beth Moore um, on Twitter, I am now aware that her husband has um, scoured one of her old cast iron skillets 
uh, in a way that um, has rendered it useless. So let me just uh, go ahead and say there's an opportunity here for a Bible study. You can actually redeem cast iron, but you have to rub it with steel wool until you arrive again at the raw layer of the cast iron, and then you have to re-season it. So I feel like this is an experience that you could liken unto refinement by fire, oil and all. So if you have ever um, re-seasoned cast iron that someone has scoured, um, let me know, because uh, our friend Beth, our sister Beth, needs our help. I feel like she could make a Bible study out of it. We just did. Okay, um, what are we doing? What am I supposed to be talking about? Next up, next up, Chris Martin, Lifeway Social. He and I are going to talk about Facebook, Facebook Messenger, Facebook's new algorithms. Why? Well, because a bunch of us are on Facebook, and we need to know what's going on. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. Parenting isn't what it used to be. Things have changed in the last few decades. Have you noticed? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. It used to be that you did what dad said just because he said so. But I find that teens today don't share that immediate sense of respect. They don't obey just because they have to. They'll even put your authority to test. But as a parent, don't be intimidated by your teen's pushiness. No, just be yourself and stick to the beliefs and rules you know to be right. Your consistency in boundaries and consequences will stand far longer than a just-do-what-I-say mentality. If parenting has changed, and it certainly has, you might have to change with it. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find encouragement through articles, books, and more at ParentingTodaysTeens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Joining me now, Chris Martin. He tweets as Chris Martin 17. He is the manager of social for Lifeway. So Lifeway Social. He's also a student ministry director and a dad. And so because it's dangerous for a social media person to tweet the night before you are on the show, I am <laughs> going to welcome Chris Martin to uh, uh, to demonstrate to us what he says on Twitter. He perfected last night, which is his Grover voice. Oh, but, but let's be clear. The tweet says, if you read very closely, <laughs> I just spent 10 minutes trying to per perfect my Grover voice so that I could read the monster at the, at the end of this book to my daughter, who still obviously, being three months old, has no idea what's actually going on. So what better time to actually practice? But I did find out, like, you know, I've always known that Grover's voice is very similar to Yoda's voice. Uh, and I've always been able to do an OK Yoda's voice, but I found out it's actually the same guy. Uh, originally, anyway, not not so much anymore. Uh, but as originally Frank Oz, who who did the voice of of Yoda. So I spent a few minutes last night at the at the dinner table once my wife and I were done eating, pulling up YouTube videos of Grover clips and trying to figure out the you know the pitch and the the changes and the and the different sounds he makes. And I, I did okay, but once once a few friends on Twitter once I tweeted that notified me that it literally is the Yoda voice. Just, you know, minus the subject verb flipping that Yoda likes to do. Uh, I was like, oh, well, then I could just try to do my Yoda voice. So I think I might have it figured out, but I, I'm not I'm too timid to try to demonstrate. <laughs> 
I feel like I feel like there's a there's potentially a whole like TikTok. I don't know if TikTok has channels or even how any of that works. But like there's a whole channel option here for dads who are trying to do this. <laughs> that's funny. You're probably right. There's I'm sure there's I would a watch genre that. There. Yes. There's a funny. whole genre out there. Okay. So, um let's talk about social media. In particular, let's talk about Facebook. Lots of people are on Facebook. Lots of people listening right now are on Facebook. There's um there's something called an algorithm. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to brief us in on why we are supposed to care today about the Facebook algorithm. Oh well, so many reasons. <clears throat> um, I'm working on a book right now with B and H Publishing on um, our sort of relationship with the social internet, which goes beyond what we traditionally understand as social media. When we when you and I hang out on every other Friday and we talk about social media, you know, we're talking about one of the major platforms or apps that are that's on one of our phones, right? We're talking about Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever. Um, but the social, like the internet is so much so more social beyond those platforms. Like when you Google something, um, you know, why, uh, why does my grass have this odd growth in it? Or, you know, why, um, why is my dog acting in this way? And you find a response from Google that response was created by a human. It's not like Google created the response that they are delivering you. They're just uh, delivering you another human's response or same question that you have uh, and the answer they received. So Google itself is even social media. So in this book that I'm working on, on so the social internet, I have an entire portion of the book dedicated kind of to how algorithms are manipulating us, for lack of a better term, really the most direct way to put it. And it really is important to me for people to understand that the algorithms on these various platforms exist. Facebook's algorithm is the most notorious, I think you could say. Um, it's the, kind of the one that we are manipulated by the most. Um, and I think it's really important that we understand that algorithms exist and what they do to us because they are modifying our behavior like Pavlov's dogs or other behavior modification experiments in psychology that have taken place over the years. Um, we are being trained to react to different kinds of content uh, that Facebook can ultimately profit from. So I think it's important for us, you know, you ask, why should we care about an algorithm? Um, like how I've likened it in some recent writing I've done in my newsletter is, you know, if we're all swimming, if we're all fish swimming in the ocean, uh, the algorithm is, is bait. It's the, it's the hook line and sinker in the water. And I, I've seen, I've spent a lot of time studying what bait and what a fishing hook looks like. And I think a lot of us just kind of swim through the water on social media and say, Ooh, look some food. And we go and we take it. And we don't think about the fact that there might be a hook under that bait. Um, and I've just have studied what the bait looks like a lot. And I want to start helping people realize that social media baits us into rage. It baits us into conflict, um, very often. And I think it's important for us to recognize that because the more we – when we recognize that, oh, Facebook I'm, – I'm anti-abortion and Facebook delivered me this ad from Planned Parenthood because they targeted anti-abortion people to, to get engagement um, because they know that anti-abortion proponents are going to engage with the Planned Parenthood ad, uh, that might help me and my self-discipline not – 
rage comment on that Planned Parenthood ad, however justified my feelings may be, it's I don't I think we would all agree it's probably not healthy to spend our days just rage commenting against content on social media we don't like. And so I think the more we can recognize that these algorithms are really manipulating us, um, the more – social media is not a neutral tool. In the past, I've I've advocated that view uh, that you know it's like a hammer and you could use a hammer to, to hurt somebody or to build a house. You could do something destructive or constructive with a hammer. Um, I, I think uh, – I don't, I don't think social media is a neutral tool anymore. Uh, I think the more I've studied the algorithms and the different – uh, gyrations and 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 systems that are in place, uh, the more I see social media as uh, not kind of a neutral path on which we walk and that we may sin upon, but I really see it as a path with some with some built-in pitfalls and some built-in stumbling blocks that um, that we just need to be careful to be aware of, and and the algorithm is a major factor in all of that. All right. And the fastest way for people to find um, your newsletter is to type what into their search bar? A good question. Uh, terms of service. Because I will dot- tell you the Chris Martin, if you just type in Chris Martin <laughs> newsletter, you don't yeah. get good stuff. Right. You don't yeah, get I'm you. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure. Uh, terms of service dot substack dot com. Or you already gave people some uh, my my Twitter, uh, Chris Martin seventeen. My yeah. my newsletter is in my bio right there, and you can just subscribe there. Yeah, so that's the super easiest way to um to that I have found to connect with this particular Chris Martin. He tweets at Chris Martin seventeen, um, and that is not only to uh, illustrate that there are there's more than one Chris Martin out there, but you want to find this one. Um, and the newsletter that you're looking for is termsofservice.substack.com. But the easiest way to find it is to go to Twitter and um, and just check out Chris Martin 17 and his profile there. And um, you can click on it right there. Why? Well, because one of the great things that you will find there is this uh, particular article on social media um, not being um, – Value free, like right. It's it is. It's not necessarily biased left or right. It's biased downward. That is some of the language that Chris uses in, um, in a recent post. All right. When we come back, uh, I want to talk with you, Chris, about um, Facebook Messenger for kids. There is definitely uh, a movement out there to get more and more kids engaged on this particular platform. I have probably gotten I don't know a hundred or more um, uh, people asking. Like if my kid could meet their kid on Facebook Messenger. So I need to talk with you about Facebook Messenger for kids. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continue my conversation with Chris Martin from Lifeway Social. He tweets at Chris Martin 17. Okay, uh, Facebook Messenger for kids. That's my whole setup. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so I'm going to unfortunately probably make your life a little bit more difficult here uh, because there's no way in the world I can endorse Facebook Messenger kids. 
Um, I, in fact, we, it's funny, you've had requests regarding this. We've actually had some within our own family. One of our, our, our nieces and nephews, um, Susie's sister's kids were, uh, wanting to connect with us via Facebook messenger kids and, and, you know, chat with our new daughter and, um, and, and for reasons that we don't have to get into on this segment, we're Susie and I have made the conscious decision to not post any pictures or anything to of our daughter to social media. And you, you can imagine why, given my kind of angle here. Um, so, but Facebook Messenger Kids uh, is run by one of the most um, uh, egregious offenders of data security or the lack of data security and data for profit the world has ever known. So face, Messenger, uh, Facebook has assured parents and everyone in the world that uh, nothing on Med Messenger Kids is leaving Facebook. They're not using it to target ads or things like that. But here's the thing. And I don't buy basically anything Facebook says that would sound like it um, sound like it's a good thing for the user because routinely there have been quote unquote mistakes Facebook has made that just so happen to support its revenue and hurt its users more than the other way around. Uh, there has never been a mistake Facebook has made that has somehow, oh, oops, we actually forgot to share user data with our advertisers and uh, we actually protected the data more than we had planned. Oops, that's a mistake. We need to be giving more data to advertisers. It's always the other way around. Um, there have been over the last, gosh, almost decade now, but really the last five or six years, routine um, lapses in judgment and security and handling of user data on Facebook's end. And all of them have those quote unquote mistakes have just accidentally made Facebook a whole lot more money. Um, and so the thing, the reason I would never put my kids on messenger kids, um, and now that I have a daughter, this takes a practical application for me, um, is because simply put routinely throughout the life of the Facebook platform, it makes decisions that benefit its advertisers to the detriment of its users. And right now it says messenger kids is, uh, not transmitting data or, anything of what's going on in kids' conversations to advertisers. But if there's a story that comes out tomorrow in which Facebook says, oops, we accidentally let advertisers target kids based on the conversations they've had, we're going to patch that up. It would be the least surprising revelation to me in the last two weeks. Um, because it's just they, they've routinely made mistakes like that or made intentional uh, dubious decisions that – uh, so, because here's the thing we have to remember that we are Facebook in Facebook world. We are, uh, vast oil deposits that they are using their platform to harvest data from us. Our, our data is the product and the advertisers that are advertising on Facebook are the are the real Facebook customers? Uh, Facebook's number one priority is satisfying its advertisers, uh, and often that comes to the detriment of its users. I mean, Facebook's uh, advertising revenue makes up ninety eight point five percent of its overall revenue seventy one point seventy one billion dollars a year. Um, so it's incredibly 
important to them for them to do everything they can to provide value for them. And I just would not put my kids on Facebook Messenger because of all of that. Um, and and I just don't trust Facebook any further than I can throw them, basically. Okay, so um, that seems clear. Um, can you tell people, I mean, because, I, I mean, I don't know. I just looked at my phone and, um, you know, kids can't, I don't know, maybe kids can't get Facebook accounts, right? So this is the way in which um, Facebook is uh, grooming them would be the pejorative yeah. term, preparing yes. them um, to have their Gro own gro Grooming presence. is an appropriate term, yeah. Yeah. And so um, it's really fun. I got to tell you, Facebook Messenger for kids is way more fun than Facebook Messenger. Sure. It. I mean, there's like this portal. There's like a whole. Yeah. I mean, I, so can you just explain to people like this is not just something that kids are accessing on a device that's in their parents hand. There is an actual portal that kids can just go and touch and get engaged. If it's online, they can just enter in. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I just like it's advent. Like Facebook is a is a data for profit company disguised as a social media company. So anything they can do, like you'll never you'll never find a smart a smart assistant in my house, a voice assistant. Right. You won't find Amazon stuff. You won't find Google Portal. Well, that's like because you don't want your daughter at any point saying, "Order six hundred pounds of dog food." <laughs> <laughs> well, right? that that and I don't want to get I don't want my daughter to uh, get profiled by these platforms that are, right. you know, taking her banal questions. So, yeah, I, I just I think we need to be aware that these platforms are they see us and our kids as oil deposits to be tapped, not customers to be served. They'll serve us as long as they can in order to get our data, which is the real thing they're concerned about. So we just again fish when you ask a fish how the water is they say what's water because mm -hmm. they don't realize they're swimming in water i think a lot of us swim in this technology space that we're in right now social media or smart tech you know virtual assistant voice assistants and and we we're not paying attention to the fact that the water is poisoned around us um and we just i just want people to be aware my my newsletter is called terms of service because jokingly nobody ever reads the terms of service and i want I want people to read the newsletter because I want people to see what they're agreeing to when they agree to the terms of service. <laughs> hey, one um, one set of terms of service that you think that uh, people should read that they probably haven't. Is there somebody who's changed their terms of service recently um, and most people probably just clicked through? Oh, well, I mean, people change their terms of service all the time. So um, I think Facebook changes somewhat regularly. So I think, yeah, you, you just... I don't expect everyone to read them all. Just we all need to be we all need to recognize the fact that when we click accept on that stuff we never read. Uh, people always joke that it, iTunes could probably own all of us because those early days with the terms and conditions there. But Apple's generally trustworthy on this stuff. Uh, we just need to be aware that we're likely agreeing to give away significant portions of our personal information uh, for profit to these organizations. So just know when we click accept, that's largely what we're doing. Yeah, there's a reason that that Google algorithm is so good at matching all of the pictures everywhere into files for me where that person appears. And it's because yeah. every one of those people has clicked on some sort of uh, agreement 
to allow all of their images to be uploaded into facial recognition. Like, that's how this is all uh, happening and working. All right, Chris, you and I have to leave our very dystopian view of the world right there for just a moment. <laughs> Can you have to go back to Grover reading? Reading in the voice of Grover today. Yes, yes. Right? All right. Hey, it's always a joy to be with you. Thank you so much. You guys can find uh, Chris on Twitter at ChrisMartin17. That's the easiest place to go to click through in his bio there to his newsletter, which you can find at termsofservice.substack.com. Chris, thanks. As always, we look forward to the book. Yeah, thanks. We'll be right back. All right. Yes, I know. It's a lot to take in on a Friday morning, um, but there is so much more yet to talk about. So uh, remember where we began, and that is the reminder that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. He is incarnate, fully God and fully man. We are his representatives representing him to the world that he so loves. You and I are charged with walking the gospel of grace out into the world in tangible ways. Um, And so, would Jesus recognize himself in us today? Would he recognize his own character? Would he recognize his own spirit? Would he recognize his mind operating within us? Would he recognize himself in action? Uh, that's, That's who we are in the world today. So if guys like Don Lemon don't recognize um, the reality of Jesus, maybe it's because we have not done an adequate job bearing um, winsome witness in, in the culture where God has placed us to serve as stewards. So let's get out there and let's till the cultural soil today. Let's plant peace, seeds of peace. Let's plant the word of God everywhere we go. Let's be people who are winsome and, uh, and listen before we speak and seek to understand others in order that we might speak the gospel into their lives in tangible ways. The gospel going forth all ways and in all ways. That is the mission Uh, And this is a a form of equipping for it. So uh, we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.